0: All right. Welcome to the Stuff Up Podcast, where we delve into different topics to learn more about ourselves and more about others. And with me today is Ben Cranker. Did I say that right?
1: Crocker. Crocker.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I was trying to say like, soccer, cracker.
1: There you go. Or Betty Crocker.
0: <laughs> and you are the host of the Threads podcast.
1: That is correct. Yeah. Life Unfiltered. Exactly. And
0: your podcast is so cool. You talk about mental health, faith, and controversial issues.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uncomfortable conversations, we like to call them.
0: Yeah. That's fantastic. It's a
1: space to get into the stuff that isn't always easy to talk about, but is so important to talk about.
0: Yes. I think that that's starting the world that we're living in, the new generation. A lot of us are starting to have more of these authentic conversations and talking about stuff because we're tired of the fighting. And that kind of goes into what I want to talk about with you as well, because that's how I grew up too. Because I wanted to discuss with you toxic Christianity. And I don't know about you, but well, I'm pretty sure you also had this. (laughs) Because everything was pretty much black and white when we were growing up. Yes. And there was no in the middle discussion. It was just, no, this is the way it is. You don't question it. And that's it. And so what I love about doing the podcast and listening to others and watching YouTube videos and just learning so much and thinking, oh, there's so many more things out there that we never heard about or to see the other side of something. Whereas we would just fight against something. No, we disagree with this. And we never really knew what the other perspective was. Hmm. So I think it's really awesome that a lot of us are doing that. And yeah.
1: Absolutely. I grew up in a similar environment where I was taught how to believe and I was taught not even how to believe. I was taught what to believe Mm -hmm. the how didn't matter. The why didn't matter. What mattered was this is how it is. Believe it or you're not part of the club. And I'm more of a why and how kind of guy, not just a the, what it is. I like to get into things and try to figure things out and, that was definitely discouraged growing up.
0: Right. I think that's a lot of the, in our generation and probably, well, the generations before, you didn't question.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and a lot of us are coming out of there going, what?
1: Just blind allegiance.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your story growing up and your experience with toxic Christianity. Sure.
1: I grew up in a family that, Both of my parents, as they grew up, they were very much part of the church as described so far. Uh, Church was a very regular thing for both of them. And so when I came into the world, one of the first things that they had me do as good reformed Christian parents is they had me baptized as an infant. I was born with some health conditions, and that definitely came to factor into my story you know, a few years down the road into life. But growing up, definitely remember church being something that was expected twice on Sunday, and perhaps even on Wednesday nights. Oh, And that was just kind of how it was. And you just didn't question it, you just did it. Because that's what Christians do. And so that's kind of the mentality that I grew up with. And my faith in my early years was very much not based on based on a journey of trying to find answers or trying to get to know personally this Jesus that everybody keeps talking about. Like everybody says you need a personal relationship with Jesus, but that just didn't seem to be the purpose of, of church in my growing up years. So right. it was just very religious, very, it's this way or the highway. I had an older brother who at the time was very anti-church maybe even anti-god although I think his issue was he didn't have the correct view of who god was and that view of god that he had was not it didn't line up in his head so he was anti-god according to that view and my dad would just scream at him like if you're lukewarm god is going to spit you out of his mouth and like taking these these verses from the book of revelation and just twisting them so faith was used as a as a rod of discipline and that is where i think the toxicity is really started to come into play so those are the early years i don't want to take over your podcast and talk the entire time but okay i'll come up for air there <laughs> let see if you have any other questions based on what I showed shared so far.
0: I cringe when you say twice on Sunday because I'm an introvert and going to church Sunday morning. Okay, fine. We come home and my dad talks a lot. So we were like the last to leave.
1: Oh, of course.
0: And then you're starving. So you go home and have lunch and then you got a few hours to do whatever. And then you have to go back Sunday night. And then the next day is Monday and you had school. And that was so hard for me. I remember just wanting to stay home and watching, watch. Remember Walt Disney Sunday night? They had like yes. things every Sunday night. And it was so exciting when we didn't have, like we didn't always, because my parents had, um, we took care of some, we took care of some psychiatric residents in a home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so we wow. actually couldn't always leave. We, yeah, I an Interesting background. Yeah. So my dad would go and I would only go sometimes if he was going out for ice cream afterwards. But otherwise, I hated Sunday night church. And I thought, why do we have to go twice? So (laughs) did you ever feel like that? Like, why are we here all the time? Or just did you not question that? I
1: think as I started seeing my brother wrestle and sometimes even literally wrestle with my dad Mm. over church and everything else, I definitely started asking questions of, why is this a thing? Like, why is this so important? Why are we burning ourselves out going twice on Sunday. And then on Wednesdays, you know, there were weeks where I would show up late to Sunday night church. And I was only going because after church, the youth group uh, would get together and go hang out at somebody's house or go to McDonald's for (laughs) ice cream. And that's what I was looking forward to. So I'd show up late and just go for that aspect of it. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough as a kid. And in my faith journey or actually my family's faith journey, I was born into the reformed circle. And then my parents made a pretty huge jump into a more charismatic type of circle. hmm. That is where by far I encountered so much toxicity in the church. And it was very damaging and it's taken me probably the better part of 30 years to really sort through that mess and, you know, and find out what the good is and hold on to that and let go of everything else. But as I mentioned, I was born with a number of health issues, one of them being a hole in one of the valves of my heart. So as a child, my heart was beating fast and overworking. And I was often tired, because the oxygen in my blood was not at the rate that it should be. So because of that hole in the valve. So I'm typically very lethargic as a child, not running around, not doing all the sports that my friends are. And that was tough. And one of the reasons why my parents switched churches was to, they wanted to find healing. I mean, it really boils down to that. And I can't, Fault them for their motives, but it's frustrating in that they made this switch to a charismatic church in hopes of finding healing for their son. But what actually happened was the opposite of healing. And there was a lot of damage that was done to me during that switch. So there were a number of pastors. And evangelists, or whoever was preaching that Sunday morning or Sunday night, and they would do the standard altar call like, if you want prayer, come to the front of the room and we'll pray for you. And if you need prayer for healing, whatever. So every time that was offered, my parents were ushering me up to the front of the sanctuary to receive prayer for my heart. But every time that One of the pastors or whoever was up there would lay their hands on me. They would not pray for healing. They would just start prophesying and saying things like, this young man is going to be used mightily by God, and we need to pray for the anointing over his life. And I don't know what that was like for my parents, but I can imagine it was probably a little bit frustrating. Here they made this big jump from a a very tame, reformed church environment to the Holy Rollers. And they're not getting what they came for, but they're getting these prophetic words. And so it was very interesting.
0: So nobody really actually prayed healing over you. They just prophesied over you.
1: As far as I can remember, and as far as what I've heard from my parents, yeah, it was never prayers for healing.
0: Wow, that's so bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say charismatic, I think some of us have different ideas of that or terminologies. Were Was it like a prosperity church as well? Because that's my experience with a charismatic church.
1: I think there was definitely some elements of that. I don't know that it was preached from the pulpit, but definitely in how they built their buildings and how much money was invested into the look and feel and you know all of that, I think there' was definitely some traces of that, but I don't think it was ever preached like prosperity is the main goal, but they certainly raised a lot of money and had no problem showing off how they were spending that money.
0: Maybe that's how it started, but nowadays it would maybe that church would be a different look differently.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. When I say charismatic, it's more I guess being very open and pursuing the the full gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether that's the speaking in tongues, the prophesying, the healing, Which those things have their place, don't get me wrong, but in that church, certainly, and in many charismatic churches, often the focus becomes those gifts and less about the giver, less about God, and more about this crazy experience that they can have. And again, it just creates a very toxic environment.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I went to this charismatic prosperity church and they were so obsessed with, you're basically filled with the spirit and you know you are when you've spoken in tongues. Yes. If you weren't speaking in tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So basically you're not like a real Christian. And that messed me up for a few years because then I left there and I went to a a more normal Pentecostal church. and I grew up Baptist. So. Okay. And I was questioning all the time and asking. These poor people were like, what are you talking about? Because I said, am I saved? Like, I I don't speak in tongues. I try. I try to speak in tongues and I haven't. I was so confused. So, yeah, I think they mess with your head in that way. And they don't mean to because I truly think they actually believe it. But it's definitely not a healthy environment to because you get so confused and then you question everything about your faith.
1: A hundred percent. So, Yeah that's all happening. And the prophecy is becoming a pretty frequent thing. Okay. So you mentioned the Baptist church. Sorry. There's so many different pieces of my story and it's trying to decide which ones are the most relevant to oh. <laughs> all of that. But so what ended up happening with my heart is I did have the heart surgery when I was seven or eight years old. And then I do remember the elders of that charismatic church running alongside my hospital bed as they're bringing me into the emergency room. And I believe they were praying in tongues. And so even up right until the moment of the surgery, they were an integral part of my life. And again, because they thought this kid is somehow this. And how weird is that? Okay, a Hmm. seven or eight year old kid. And they're like obsessed about the calling of God on this boy's life. It's just like, that's just really weird. It just doesn't strike me as very healthy. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I had the heart surgery and it really wasn't too long after that. I believe I was 10. My parents, for reasons that have not been explained to me, decided to switch churches again. And this time they ended up in a Baptist church. And um, that's kind of where my adolescence took place. So
0: So you've been all over.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that's definitely one thing about my story. But in that youth group at the Baptist church is really where I started finding the relationship with Jesus. And I certainly have my youth pastor to thank for that. So things weren't perfect at the Baptist church and there's a lot of things that I look back on and just kind of shake my head about, but I did have incredible experience with my youth pastor in that church. I'm still in touch with him today, all these years later, and we've actually debriefed some of the thought processes and the different things that we encountered at that church. So I'm loving youth group, I'm getting connected, I'm finding friends there. And so I started getting into like leadership stuff for the youth group as a student leader. And then I believe it was my sophomore year of high school, I decided to start like an on campus Bible study or community group, whatever you want to call it, at my high school, and it was a public high school. And I had the backing of a nonprofit organization and this really cool, crazy thing. And it was at that time I was asked to speak at the nonprofit's banquet, their fundraising banquet, and was treated like a guest of honor. Cause here's this 15, 16 year old kid leading this group. And, and like my parents were invited. And it was this, pretty fancy banquet. And it was at that banquet that the executive director sat herself down at our table and was just basically bragging to my parents about how great I was and how lucky they were to have me. And, and it was then that my parents told the story of what transpired at the charismatic church that I grew up at. And I remembered some of that, but they added some of the details and kind of filled in the gaps that were missing. And that night really became for me, I felt the weight of having to prove those leaders, right? It's like Hmm. I had to fulfill that prophecy that they spoke over my life. And, and here I am at this banquet. And so I really kind of just took it and ran with it because I felt like that was my duty That was what God had for me. And so I just pursued it as hard as I could and not really ever stopping to think, wait a second, just because somebody says something about my life doesn't mean I have to fulfill that or follow that. Like, that's not how this works. But Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I was just so into it and couldn't really separate myself long enough to see that I was not necessarily following God's plan for my life. I was more just trying so hard to fulfill these words that were spoken over me as a child. And that was pretty damaging.
0: Mm -hmm. Did your church really promote the, like even in the Baptist church, if somebody speaks over you, I know that that's a big thing. That is basically God's Because they know God spoke to them or something and they're laying hands on you. And that is then God, that's what he has for your life. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a time and a place for that. But again, I think people get carried away and they don't necessarily spend the time discerning. Was that the voice of God or was that just some crazy idea I had because I'm amped up on caffeine right now? Or, you know? (laughs) And I think far too often people people claim that it's the voice of God when, honestly, it's probably something very far from that. And yeah. I think there's so much damage that's done by people who claim to speak for God. Mm-hmm. The way I see it, God doesn't need a mouthpiece. Like if God has something to say or do in this world, he's got a pretty good track record of doing it without having us be the voice or the spokesperson for him Mm -hmm. God's ways always win and I feel like we as Christians get in the way of that far more than we do you know just going with the current of God's movement I think we stand in the current and we block the flow and we may have good intentions but it's painful for so many yeah when people claim to speak for God
0: and I know some churches really promote that. I remember one church where they were saying that and the pastor would just tell everyone what to do because God spoke to him. And I was going around telling my friends, well, God spoke to me that you need to do this. <laughs> it's really I'll embarrassing it looking. <laughs> well, honestly, a lot of the, well, it was only like one or two friends, but they had grace with me. I mean, a lot of people had a lot of grace with me over the years, you know?
1: <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> if that you. was I'm... me,
0: I would have been like, stop talking to me, you weirdo. <laughs>
1: Right. No kidding.
0: But yeah. So when was it that you started to really question your upbringing, what you learned? Yeah. Because you said your faith kind of became your own in high school through this, right? Definitely. Yeah.
1: And I kind of ran hard with it all through high school. Like I was... It's so silly, but I had a website for myself, bencrocker.com. I had an email address, youthspeaker at bencrocker.com. So my high school years, that formative time where, you know, the majority of the work that's done for an adolescent is figuring out who they are. I was told who I was. And so I just chased that as hard as I possibly could. And that led me to. An opportunity to serve at a nonprofit. They were based in Chicago, but they had sites all over the United States. So I went and did my interview at the Chicago site, and it's an inner city type of nonprofit. So they basically have youth groups that take mission trips throughout the country to these different sites. And they have a staff of college students who host them on those trips. So I was interviewing to be a host of mission trips, had no idea what I was getting myself into, but it was just kind of a, you know, that was the next domino in my, in the path that I was pursuing. So I, I was like, well, here's a great opportunity. Let's go for it. So I interviewed in Chicago and they emailed back the next day and said, we think you're perfect for this, but we don't have a need for any staff here in Chicago. However, our site in Los Angeles needs more city hosts. Are you interested? And so this was my, I think, after my freshman year of college. So high school and even into college, I was still chasing this artificial version of who I thought I was because it was what people told me I was or what I was supposed to be doing. And then I ended up going to Los Angeles. It was my first time on an airplane, and that was wild. And I get there and I get plugged in and get connected to the other staff that's there. And I'm quickly realizing that I'm not in Michigan anymore. I'm not in my conservative bubble. I'm not at my Christian college. I'm not with these churches that have been so integral in my life. I really felt. Like I had almost thrown myself to the wolves, and it was ultimately a very good thing, but I felt so out of place as I'm getting to know my fellow co hosts. They're from completely different denominations, they're from completely different parts of the country. And it became clear to me that some of them voted Democrat, and I just, and it became clear to me that some of them voted Democrat, and I just, couldn't wrap my mind around that. I was like, <laughs> what do you mean you're a Christian, how dare you vote democrat? And we would go to the church services in the area that we were staying in and it was a, again an inner city area, so I ended up going to a a black church basically for the majority of the summer and absolutely loved it. I loved how real and genuine the people were and how They could sing and sing with such enthusiasm because their faith really did carry them through difficult times living in the inner city. And I'll never forget one of the sermons, the pastor's talking about an upcoming election. And of course, pastors can't tell you who to vote for, but it was very clear that he was promoting the democratic agenda. And I was just blown away by it. I was, so I got in the car with my fellow co-host who drove us there. And I was like, I can't believe that pastor votes Democrat. Like, I've <laughs> never heard of that before. And this co host, bless his heart, he looks at me. He's just like, Ben, I'm a Democrat and I'm a Christian. What are you trying to say here? And I just said, you know what? I don't know. And I just kind of dropped it after that. But being in that environment really shook me up and seeing, the insane divide between socioeconomic classes that exist in Los Angeles. I mean, you've got Skid Row, where the poorest of the poor live on the streets in tent encampments, and many of them have some significant mental health challenges that are not being addressed. And then you go a couple blocks and you're in the financial district of Los Angeles. And it's just like, what in the world? And Then I had to factor in, well, how does my faith play into all of this? And I started reading the Beatitudes with the rest of the co-hosts and blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. And I'm just like, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said that. And it's just like the text of scripture just came alive in a very powerful way and really shook me and shook a lot of things that I thought Were so about my faith and showed me I was off and showed me that I had a very narrow view of my faith, a very narrow view of God, a very narrow view of other people. And that trip just kind of stripped the blinders off.
0: Hey guys. I just wanted to take a minute here and say, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, you can subscribe, rate and review. It helps people to find it. If you also want to help support it financially, you can check out buymeacoffee.com backslash podcast. Thank you so much. I love you all. I have a question and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I have a similar experience with I moved to Toronto. And I met Christians who voted here. We call them liberal and conservative. Right. uh, In Canada. So they voted liberal and we were always raised. You had to be conservative. So (laughs) I questioned their faith. I was like, well, they can't be real Christians if they vote liberal. Right. Because of how ingrained that was. So did you also question? (laughs) Because that's such a normal thing for us who grew up in this kind of environment. To question yeah. their faith, like they can't really be Christians if so they're Democrats.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a uh, lot of moments like that at the housing site that we were staying in. There was a, a door to the roof and you could just go and sit on the roof. And at night, it was my favorite place to be. And I remember going up on the roof and calling mentors, calling my, at the time, girlfriend, who's now my wife, calling friends and just being like how do I make sense of this? Like, this is so different, so outside of my comfort zone, so outside of what I know of Christianity. So honestly, it was just conversations with others that really helped me start to let go of that narrow view of people that I held so closely to. Mm. And there were definitely some pretty big bumps in the road, I didn't mesh very well with the other city host in the first couple of weeks. We butted heads quite a bit. I had my priorities that were far more spiritual, I guess, and their priorities were more trying to help the youth groups that we were hosting have a more cohesive view of their faith, so kind of a broad perspective. And I'm over here like we should do an altar call or we should We should stop and pray right now or, you know, things like that and kind of missing the other elements of what's going on around me. So it was tough, but those city hosts really kind of, I mean, they could have just been so frustrated with me and just given up on me, but they had grace after grace after grace for me and were very instrumental in kind of kicking off that process of discovering my faith For myself, in a very fresh, organic, this is me. This is my experience, my story. This is how I fit in this grand scheme of life. And it was incredible.
0: I love hearing that people showed grace in your childhood. It sounds like it was very legalistic. There wasn't much grace. Yes. Yeah. I experienced the same thing. And it was just judgment judging everyone, kind of very much based on theology. And so when others showed grace to me, I didn't really understand it at the time. I just Mm. thought maybe I want an argument or something because they were just (laughs) kind of leaving me to be or. Right. Or, okay, you know, they also agree with what I said or whatever right and so now I look back and I'm like wow those people had to hold their tongues yeah (laughs) they showed a lot of grace and I just really appreciate those people in my life and I want to be that for other people but that can be so hard to
1: oh goodness yes
0: I tell people off
1: (laughs) yeah so I remember our closing day with all of us We were sitting in a circle and kind of doing the affirmation circle where you say something nice about each person in the group. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Like, that was so good for my soul. And the comments that I was hearing were, Ben, when you first got here, I was a little worried that this wasn't going to (laughs) work. But just seeing your growth and seeing your passion for justice grow during your time here. Just so many comments like that. And then one person pointed out the email address that I had used. She was like, when I saw your email address was at com, I had some red flags. And she's like, but as the summer went on, I really and truly enjoyed seeing you grow and become the person you are today. So it was just a, a very meaningful experience. Aww. And so then we had a big group photo taken, and then we turns writing words on people's uh, frames. So, a lot of the words that were spoken to me were also written on the picture frame. I don't know where it is now, but <laughs> I still have it, and it's still definitely something of significant value to me.
0: Wow, that's making me cry, actually. <laughs> oh wow! So see, the important thing though, and I is. That we want to learn, I think, and maybe this was your experience growing up, where we get so stuck in being religious mm-hmm. that we think we're so right all the time. And if we don't go outside and and go, oh, maybe I'm missing something. And I think that must have been your experience where you just assumed other people were going to be in the same religious understanding as you and political and then you're like wait what (laughs) yeah but you wanted to learn you wanted to go what what is happening that is not my experience
1: yeah I mean I honestly I don't know where I would be if I did not open myself up to learn and to grow that summer and I think being so far from home and so far removed from everything that was familiar to me Definitely played into that. But yes, it was so good to get out of my holy huddle in Michigan and find some people who were very active in following Jesus, but it looked completely different from what I had grown up with. And there was one individual who was very similar to me in background, and unfortunately, he for whatever reason did not have the same level of openness that i had going into it and he ended up leaving early um it was just too much there was too much friction he wasn't being effective in his role as a as a host so that was very difficult to see but it was also just one of those reminders of wow i made the right choice in being open and i have so many people to thank because they just they prayed for me and they were challenging me to be open i have a mentor who was a professor in college and he was one of my go to people that i would call from the rooftop in los angeles and just be like dave i don't know what this is but i think it's good but i'm scared and i don't know what to do <laughs> so without those people i think it would have been a very rotten awful summer experience, but it turned out to be something that really altered the course of my faith for the rest of my life.
0: That's awesome. So after you did this program, what was next for you?
1: Well, I canceled the .com domain name and I stopped using that email address. <laughs> that was some of the first things I did. And then I just continued to get to know my, my wife and we were engaged at that point. And she's always had just such a heart for justice as well. And Mm -hmm. so really getting to know her and her passion for others, and really just being open. That was the biggest thing that I took away from that trip was just be open. And so what came next was I still went to college for youth ministry, I, I couldn't shake that. I think a lot of that was me trying to fulfill those words spoken over me. And so I do think that if that experience did not happen, the prophesying and the toxic elements from my early days, I don't think I would have ever considered youth ministry. But even after that powerful experience that summer, I still moved forward with youth ministry and I graduated and moved out to Portland, Oregon and served actually was a little town called Elmira, Oregon. Served as a youth pastor there for almost five years. Loved it. Loved everything about it. Again, I got to go way outside of my comfort zone to the West Coast. And that was very formative for me and my faith. And my wife and I adopted while we were out there, again, being justice focused and wanting to live out our faith in a very real, tangible way. And that's one of the ways that we did that. Met some incredible friends along the way who had similar stories and similar passions. There came a time where the church just couldn't afford to keep me on staff. So I ended up going to a different church north in the Portland area, and that ended up being probably the most toxic church that I had ever been involved in. Wow. So even though that great awakening happened in college, there were still a lot of fragments and a lot of, you know, sticking with this view of of my life and this view of faith because it's comfortable. It's what I've grown up with. It's what I'm familiar with. And then at that second church that I served at, I had a very different way of doing youth ministry. I was very relational, not so much focused on big numbers of big crowds or big events. I was more about whoever comes, I'm gonna focus on them, build them up in their faith, really give them the experiences that changed the course of my faith. I want to share that with these youth. And so I I did that and senior pastor. Wasn't a fan. And ultimately, we were just a terrible, we were like oil and water. We, just, <laughs> we could not work together and be cohesive and be on the same page about anything. And it was very difficult. So, the most toxic thing that happened in that situation was the senior pastor told a couple of board members that, you know what? I'm willing to work out this situation with Ben we can make this work we'll find a way and so i was told that i was in a meeting with him and the board members when he said that so i just kind of breathed this big sigh of relief of all right we're going to find a way forward we'll make this work well then the very next day they had a a board meeting that i was not privy to i was not invited to and at that meeting the board with the exception of one board member The majority of them said, Well, we're just going to let you do what you want to do and we'll support you in whatever decision you make. So instead of being a board that was discerning and seeking to do the right thing, they just simply rubber stamped what the pastor wanted and the pastor wanted me gone. So that was the ultimate course of action. And that, again, was probably the most toxic thing that has happened in the context of a church. And so I was hung out to dry at that point. I didn't have a backup plan, didn't have any experience outside of ministry. So employers would look at my resume and be like, you seem like a good guy, but we don't know that you can do this work because all you've done is church work. Uh. So yeah, that was a very critical point. So all that to say... Even after my awakening in Los Angeles, it was certainly a process and, you know, a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of loss and a lot of toxicity along the way. But yeah, I guess that's life.
0: That's one thing I, I guess I never thought about until I started listening to uh, like different atheist podcasters, YouTubers, and they talk about people who deconvert. And they really have no other job to go to. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I never thought about it like that. That is, yeah. Yeah. Because if you're a pastor and that's all you've done, and what do you do after?
1: Well, a lot of pastors in that situation, I researched this because I I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, it was becoming clear to me, yeah. something's got to give and... I was researching ex pastor career paths and I kept seeing sales and I didn't understand at the time. I was like, why sales? (laughs) But then this may sound offensive to some of your listeners. And if it is, I apologize, but (laughs) I'm being unfiltered. If you can sell Jesus, you can sell just about anything. So that's what I got into after my horrible experience in the toxic church. I made a decision that I was not going to take a paycheck for any work associated with church. It's not something I want my family's livelihood wrapped up in. Mm. I just felt a paycheck from a church feels very toxic to me at this point, because a paycheck is almost the church's way of saying, stay in line. And if you don't, we're not going to pay you and i would rather serve because i want to serve and because i feel led in a certain direction and not have a paycheck tied to it
0: yeah you mentioned that i listened to you on the the cult of christianity podcast which was very very good and you guys were talking about that and i was like oh i mean i un- i totally understand what you're saying with that but i guess my question would be how would it cuz if somebody's a pastor And they have all these things to do and really don't have time for a full time job. That would be their livelihood. Like, what would you kind of suggest? And, or do you agree with that, then?
1: I'm on the fence. I know for (laughs) me personally, just where I'm at in life, and this may change. I don't know. But for me and the journey I've been on, I don't think it's right or healthy for me to. Be full-time employed by a church. Now that doesn't mean that it's wrong for everybody. And I think he, maybe even since I had that conversation on the Cult of Christianity podcast, I think maybe my view is shifting a little bit because I do have a one of my good friends is a pastor, a youth pastor, and he's thriving and he's doing well, and he's got far healthier situation than I had. Mm. And then I look at my church and our church has a full-time pastor and she's amazing. And so I think it really boils down to the health of the church as a whole. And if the church is not healthy, then it is not healthy for a pastor to be on payroll. Now, if there is health in the church, like the church I'm a part of now, I think that kind of changes things. It's a really long answer, but I think that It can be appropriate and healthy, but I've seen it firsthand how the paycheck can be used as manipulation almost.
0: Yeah. And yeah, it's subjective kind of because it all depends on the situation. Like that charismatic prosperity church I went to, the pastor previously had a great career as a lawyer and he was well off. And he was telling all these people to put money in and money in and, and he even would suggest, oh, you give as much as you can put your whole paycheck in gift your pastor. And they actually got together and gifted him like a Mercedes or something. And there was elderly people in the, or people struggling that would cash out their retirement savings just to give him a stupid car. And he was already well off with a pool and everything. Right. I mean, that is like, uh, sorry, but fuck that. Like, (laughs) amen. (laughs) Oh yeah, I left that church (laughs) and he told me I'd be back and I was, I've never been back, which was pretty funny, but that is evil. I mean, that is the kind of teaching that keeps people down and they were not learning. Hmm. They were not growing. They were just very, they were learning what they were learning from him and he was telling them what to believe. Yes. So when people would, a lot of people started thinking for themselves, you could see them leave. Yeah, And you know, you have a problem when that happens or when the pastor says, if you go to another church, like with a friend, you shouldn't do that. You need my permission first. (laughs) Wow. That's a toxic church.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. So it reminds me of the church that I was a part of as a child that was super charismatic and all that craziness. That church is pretty much identical today. They're still around. They've kind of tamed a little bit on the spiritual gift stuff, but they're the same in that they're producing the same results. Like Mm. they're not necessarily producing Christians who think for themselves, but they're producing like their version of what a sheep or a Christian or a Christ follower should look like. And that's scary because included in that ideal model of somebody who goes to that church, is that Republican card. So this church hosted a Trump rally, like Donald Trump and all of his campaign allies and his son and everybody else had a rally at this church. And it just (laughs) blew my mind. I was like, no, like if Christ was here, he would be furious about this. And yet you're welcoming this. And and again, with that type of Christianity that I grew up with, where your political stance is so tied to your faith, ugh, it was so toxic seeing mm-hmm. that happen. And there was a part of me that just deeply mourned for the church. Like, you should know better by now. Mm-hmm. How are you doing this kind of thing? And when will you learn? And Do you not see all the blood on your hands from all these people that you've tricked and bamboozled and have taught them that life is this one way when actually it's not? My heart hurts for those leaders in the church. I think I've even moved past being angry with them to a place where now I'm just deeply sad that this church continues to have those same results. and. It's keeping therapists in our area, (laughs) in business, for sure.
0: I have to say, I got to thank Trump for starting. It was because of him I started to question politically, why are we conservative? Right. And I'm Canadian, like, but we're still obsessed with, it's still very big here. Like, you got your Republicans here who are obsessed with him. My dad is one of them. Mm. And the the more I started to question go, ah, Nah, I can't get along with this dude because he's, (laughs) I don't even know how to describe him. A narcissist? I don't know.
1: The opposite of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what it boils down to for me. And why so many Christ followers would choose to follow somebody who looks nothing like Christ baffles me.
0: Yeah. And who mocks everything. That's right. He's even mocked Christians and... Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. And so I saw that and I was thinking, how could this be? How could it be that we have to be Republican, even though we're Canadian and we have to like this dude? It doesn't make sense to me. And I started questioning, why do we always vote conservative? It was for some of the social issues that are not even in the forefront anymore that we were told to vote for. And I saw so many things that like racism. Yeah. It seems to be not even like people don't care. And I don't want to generalize, but this is my experience because I have friends and family who just, they're Republican conservative and they just don't care. They don't believe things like that exists. And they, and I'm like, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to care about people. Right. I had an atheist, graceful atheist on my podcast. And we were talking about, being he's a secular humanist. And I was like, well, shouldn't we all be humanists? Because Mm. that was always a negative term, because it was like, humanist, you know, it's without religion and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, shouldn't we just be humanists in the sense of caring about others? Where has that gone? Right? In the church that not necessarily, I've seen lots of churches that do that kind of stuff. Sure. But my kind of environment, it was not, except for my mom. My mom is very much cares about people, but otherwise it was just, we have to be political and get angry and be anti-everything. And I'm like, why is that being a Christian? And that's what people are, that's what we're known for. It's embarrassing You mean to say you're a Christian.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy to me that Christians have become known for not what they're about, but what they're against. And that's Mm -hmm. just so sad to me that, Stereotypically, when you think of a Christian, the first things that come to mind for so many people are the things that we're apparently against. And it's like, if we truly are Christians, if we really are about the way of Christ, then shouldn't we be known for that? Yeah. And not for all this baggage that we've added to it. It's frustrating.
0: Yeah, for sure. When I was going through this questioning, I was pretty angry. And I was just getting, Facebook was a huge thing because the pandemic, Trump. Right. Yeah, everything. (laughs) I just saw Christians getting mad about, I can't go to church. Okay. But there's other stuff happening too. Like, do you not care about everything else? And I just, I was like, why is this a thing? Why is this what we're known for? And I was just getting so angry because I was also questioning a lot of this stuff. So. So when I hear you and so many other people I'm talking to, and I I found a church last year that is just a rational type of church, and the pastor is such a great heart, and he's just I've had great chats with him, and I appreciate that. I'm like, oh, good, there really are people out there I can connect with that are on the same wavelength that do have the same understanding, and I'm like, oh, thank you, God. (laughs) Yes, you know, it's nice.
1: And I think that's one of the frustrating things for me is I you hear so often this idea of deconstructing and leaving the faith and whatnot. And I've been through it and I'm still sticking with it. And some people look at that and they're just like, well, that's because it's the only thing you've ever known. No, it's not. I didn't know it until I was in my late teens, early twenties. But what I found, the genuine faith and the the heart of Jesus for those who are not like me transformed me. And I just wish that some of these people who are seeing the faults of the church, I wish they'd give it another chance. As you're saying, there are churches out there who get it and don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater because you had a bad experience. Take a break. Yeah, absolutely. After I was let go from that church, I don't think we stepped foot in any church for probably three or four months. We just needed to heal. Yeah. And that's okay. But do the hard work of of finding a place where you fit. That's been so instrumental to me. And I think it's the biggest frustration I have with this whole deconstructing thing. Like, For as much as we like to point fingers at the church and say they have all these things wrong, well... We're not much different from them if all we can do is just say, you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong. Like, we're doing the same thing they're doing, just to a different audience. And so for me, healing has come from finding a church that's made up of people from all walks of life, and it's designed to be that way. Finding a church that values justice and that participates in efforts to bring justice to all because we believe that's what Christ would do. We believe in building the kingdom here on earth. Like it's been so transformative for me and my family to be a part of a church that gets it. So I guess if you have any listeners who are dealing with the toxicity found in church, that's great. Deal with it, process it, heal, but don't give up because there are churches that are healthy and that are focused on the right things. And I would just hate it if they miss the opportunity to be a part of something like that, Mm because it can be so healing.
0: It was, I actually, when I moved back to my hometown, because I lived in Toronto for a while, and I didn't have a church, but I went to speak to my parents' pastor, because I didn't know who else to go to. And I was questioning this whole conservative, liberal thing, and I said, what I grew up with, I don't really agree with. And I I get so angry about this. And even issues like emotional abuse, you women are told, well, you can't get a divorce because that's bad, but it's okay that you're in a marriage. Like that was really angering me. And he was very helpful and kind of, he said the people who are the loudest are the ones on the extreme sides. And that's what we see all the time, right? (laughs) But there's so much more in between. Yes. And so I really appreciated that because I grew up in the extremes. Yeah. And so I have seen that and I've I've started seeing other Christians who are also, they're not going, well, blah, blah, blah on this side, or it's just finding that rationality in the middle as well, and not just being so angry or intense on the one side right so yeah. i appreciated that and yeah there was something else that you just said that i wanted to comment on oh the <laughs> i struggle with that because i was getting so angry at the self-righteousness i was seeing then i had to stop and realize i'm being self-righteous
1: right <laughs> and those yeah. you know what i
0: mean and so it's this tricky thing where we have to constantly be aware of
1: <laughs> yeah because it's like you just become the same version, but on the other side. Yeah. And that's something that I've really had to come to terms with too.
0: Yeah. And that's, it is doing the work. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people maybe don't want to do the work or they're just like being where they are they are in the religiosity of it, which can be a comfortable place, I guess, even though it's not fun. It's really actually a horrible place to be. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, Ben, I don't want to take any more of your time. We've been talking for an hour already. (laughs) I
1: know. I just looked at the clock. It's crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for this wonderful chat. It's so much fun talking to people and connecting on deeper levels like this.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Well, thank you. So plug your podcast. Tell people where they can find you.
1: Yeah. So Threads Podcast, Life Unfiltered. You can find us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, ThreadsPodcast.com. We're also on social media under Threads Podcast. I would love to have you listen, but don't want to steal you away from Stephanie either. So (laughs) just add it to your repertoire.
0: Thank you. Ben Crocker. Yay, I said it right. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Steph underscore Ann underscore web, Instagram, Stephanie underscore Ann underscore web, Facebook, Stephanie Ann Webb, and my website is stephanieannweb.com, where you can find my podcast episodes for the Stuff Up podcast, and check out my blog, and you can buy my children's book called What Should Dragon Do?, a story about living together with other people, how to handle the little situations, and how to live together with kindness. I appreciate you all. You are amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and make it a great day. Bye.